0: Hey everyone, Matt Fraser here, joined by Matt Tolman. I'm really excited today because it's the start of a brand new podcast. As you may notice, we're overhauling the Nomad Athlete Radio feed. Uh, we've got the Plant-Based Morning Show in there, which has been running for a year and a half now. We've got Nomad Athlete Radio, which is getting a slight change in its format. And we've got this new show, which we're calling the Outlier Health Podcast. It features me, my co-founder in complement, and my partner in Nomad Athlete, Matt Tolman. Matt, how are we doing today?
1: We are awesome, Matt. Excited to get this started. Um, And I have to say, now I see why Doug brought up your background. Because this platform that we're using has mirrored your image. So the plant is on the wrong side. But when we were in Zoom, it's actually the opposite. And so Doug's not crazy. We all made fun of him. But I get why he said that.
0: Okay, I, so that makes total sense. i never heard him say the plant was on the wrong side. I must have not been uh, paying much attention during that call. Yeah, I'm not remember sure. that's,
1: that was the whole joke of why I was telling you to spend the weekend undoing your bookshelf rearrange and, books. and rearranging right. it to, to okay. mess with him. But, then that joke but actually, is much he's than. right. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Good. Yeah. So you were just laughing out of pity
0: last time. <laughs> I just, thought, I think I just kept saying I don't know why I would rearrange the books. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's let's get this back under control. We are. Uh, We're bringing you this new podcast you know, as as part of a a big effort to produce really great content over the course of really uh, indefinitely. But specifically, as far as the the shorter time horizon, we've got a book. You and I are working on a book. Uh, I've written three books before. People will probably, who listen to this, will know of the Nomade Athlete books. uh, And last year, The Plant-Based Athlete, or most recently, The Plant-Based Athlete, which was a New York Times bestseller. I wrote it with Robert Cheek. Uh, something of which I am very proud, uh, but this book is going to be different from from everything before, and uh, this podcast is going to kind of, I think, chronicle the the process and the ideas and the discussions that we are having. That's really where the inspiration for this came was we were we were having a lot of debates and discussions about the book's topic and the stance we should have and and basically what we want to present. And we said this these conversations themselves are are valuable. We should be saving these uh, for ourselves and our. Kids and and anyone who wants to to hear them, so that's uh, that's where the idea kind of came from. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Let's let's dive in. Do you, you want to talk a little bit about the uh, the book or or you no? Know, just who you are
1: just Sam. No, if if people don't know me, they'll get to know me. And if uh, if I may just double down on what you said, you know, we were having some really interesting conversations, and I'm really excited because the format and the impetus behind. This podcast is really trying to give people a look behind the scenes to uh, those debates, the exploration, the, you know, the, the fun part of our relationship that doesn't get aired as much. So I'm really excited to invite people in. Um, hopefully they'll, they'll see a little bit of the plant-based sausage making that goes into this book and, and participate in it and let us know how we're doing, what, what areas to explore and, and obviously it'd be fun to connect with them on other platforms as well
0: yeah good. agree. Diddle on all that. um this will be fun so let's let's jump in with the book. uh the book has taken already in in its you know year we've been discussing it. it's taken several forms already um but why don't you start why don't you tell us what what yeah. you think is the big idea behind this book and really this podcast and where we're going from here?
1: yeah I think look we've spent um you've spent even longer I've spent something like you know, seven, eight years now um, in this role, supporting our community as they explore uh, ideas and decisions and controversies around health and nutrition in particular. And so as you and I stood back and and asked ourselves, where are we in the grand arc of history? um, We realized something really interesting and perhaps terrifying, which is, you know, a thousand years ago, 200 years ago, whatever point in history, there was always this this important role. Uh back then, maybe it was the village elder. Certainly at some point it was it was our mom and dad, right? Where you were shepherding the young, uh, the younger generation to find healthy habits and you had a vested interest. Maybe you even had a love for those people. And so you you really were investing your heart and soul into ensuring that they were doing the things that set them up for success in terms of their their mental well-being, their physical well-being, their happiness. Um, And that's drastically changed in the last 50 years. Um, At some point, doctors and governmental institutions kind of took that, took hold of that narrative. And I think that in many ways was a positive thing, particularly compared to where we are today, which is essentially anyone with a six pack and a cell phone can now become the health guru and can now inform a lot of the decision making that we that we have, a lot of the conversation that we're having around health and fitness and and nutrition, and so it's it's looking at the way that those conversations, the way that health education has evolved over the past long arc of history, but in, in particular where we are today and how we can protect ourselves in terms of being able to to sniff out when someone is maybe just. Self-serving, uh, or I should say, promoting their own uh, products or services, right, in, in the guise of trying to support people on their own health journey. So um, it's not something we've talked to a lot about publicly. It's probably the first time I've ever described it in words. So tell me, um, what did I, what did I miss? What do you want to add on to that, Matt?
0: Well, I think you did a very nice job. I think that that is the essence of what we are doing. Um, the the part that jumps out as alarming in all that is that that, you know, in the, in the years gone by, what, what made someone, you know, earn the right to give health advice that would be listened to, uh, was probably that 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 advice actually worked, that it was helpful, right? They probably helped people in the past. Uh, then, you know, eventually it was credentials and letters and things after the names. Uh, and we should acknowledge, we don't have those either. We've been on the other side of this. We've been the influencer, you know, giving the health advice, uh, and when you, when you win, and this is my point here, is that like what it takes to become trusted, it isn't so much that the advice works or that, it, that it, you know, passes muster. It's, it's really just that you're good at marketing and that you can figure out how to, how to, if you can game the system, if you can beat the algorithm, if you can write clickbait headlines, I mean, that's how you get attention. So the big shift I think is that it's, it's much less about the quality of the ideas as far as who rises to prominence. And much more about the way the ideas are packaged, and and the way that the person, uh, you know, is is good at getting people, getting attention, and getting people to believe these ideas. And that's where that's where like it can be really good. It's nice to have have gatekeepers removed in many contexts. It's a it's a great thing the internet has has done for us. Um, but but in some cases it's it's dangerous and it's and it's bad advice and. That's I think that's really the the most interesting part of the book for me is is exploring the the techniques and the tactics and really the hallmarks of uh advice that is designed more to get attention than to to actually be good. Uh and, and the the form yeah. this I think probably most commonly, most recognizably takes is just extreme stuff, right? Like we don't hear about boring health ideas, we don't hear yeah. so much about eat your vegetables, uh you know, do go exercise. Like we know that's true, but it's boring. That's not what we want to hear. We want to hear, uh, this one easy, simple trick that, that, you know, burns fat like crazy or whatever. Uh, so that's, that's, you know, we'll have many, many more examples like that. Uh, but, but go ahead. What do you, let's let's, let's get, let's,
1: well, because you, you're getting into like the, you know, sometimes what takes off is that the person is really good at the, the marketing side, but, it's also sometimes those ideas you mentioned clickbait headlines. I mean, let's just name names, right? Um, the liver King is the perfect example of this stuff. For those who don't know, this is a, um, very muscly, um, guy who, uh, promotes eating, um, raw and cooked, uh, organ meats in particular liver, the liver King. Um, in addition to obviously, uh, uh, not obviously um, raw eggs, right? With the shell. I mean, these are like incredibly for those of us who have been, you know, <laughs> vegan for a decade. I mean, really gross stuff. But he swears by, you know, this 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 primal diet, and obviously it it gets clicks because it's so outrageous, right? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and by the way, has a has a disdain for like fruits and vegetables as a result. I mean, truly the bleeding edge of the carnivore uh diet no pun intended (laughs) and uh and and of course you know uh, attributes this diet to the his what he calls um you know a, a healthy state and and i think what he defines as healthy as having really really big muscles um and lo and behold he was outed you know with documentation uh for using performance enhancing drugs steroids um and little did we or you know probably unsurprising um he came on uh to his uh, channels and apologized profusely um i think attributed it somehow to to mental health (laughs) um but Two, three weeks later, he's back at it, right? Zero um, reference to to that little blip in the radar. Um, And next thing you know, he's promoting his supplements, right? Because if you don't want to eat raw liver um, directly out of the animal, uh, you can always have it in a pulverized form in a little capsule. And as you said, yeah, this this is something we've been doing for um, seven, eight years is promoting the highest quality nutrients in the world and we're really proud of it i always say that you know we only create things that are good enough for our families um but we're in that same position we can see you know because we've been behind the curtain in that way and it is just so um patently self-serving uh what he is doing um and obviously outrageous because how many people are are watching that and saying oh yeah you know maybe i maybe i should just start eating um a purely carnivore diet, which we know goes against, you know, decades of the best peer-reviewed science in terms of what actually sets you up for vibrant health and longevity. So, um, those are the types of topics that I'm excited to get into. I'll I'll pause there and let you riff on Liver King if you want to, or change the subject.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much more to say about uh, Liver King specifically. I think it, the example of that that he kind of come right back after being outed for the steroid use, uh, is a great example of that. There's like the accountability that, that, you know, once was important to the process of giving medical advice, right? If you gave bad advice that didn't hold up to science or that got bad results for people, uh, you'd lose your license. You wouldn't be able to practice anymore. But with, with the internet, there is none of that. We are not subject to it either when we give advice. Uh, but it's just something that as a, as a consumer of that information, you have to really the onus is much more on you to protect yourself because there is this lack of accountability uh, and all different incentives that involve sometimes not getting people healthy but rather just advancing one's career or or status within a community uh that those are at play so that's all interesting i when you mentioned the carnivore diet i'm i'm not too familiar with the ins and outs of the carnivore diet i understand the basic idea uh i don't pay attention to many of those arguments you know for for i think good enough reason but I think when I think what is appealing to a lot of that like you said it sounds outrageous and it does to to you and me because we don't eat that way and we read a lot of scientific things and they don't line up with that but that does contain this grain that that has attracted people to the paleo diet I don't think so much the keto diet but especially paleo that just says like I can imagine the people 30,000 years ago may have eaten this way right they may have eaten whole eggs when they found them and because it's food and you get it and it's nutrition uh, and they may have only eaten meat for some time because there wasn't agriculture yet. Um, so, you know, I, 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 think there is that little bit, there's that, and we talk about this a good bit in the book, or we will, um, this naturalistic fallacy, this idea that what, what is natural is what is healthy. And like, if you think about what people did at one time in the past or at a long period in the past, that is what we, you know, first of all, we can assume that's natural, and second of all, we can assume that that's healthy and what we should be doing today. Uh, and it is a fallacy. It's a, it's a known popular fallacy. We didn't make up the idea that it is. Um, but it's something that I think is is really important because I do think as far as pop nutrition, pop fitness goes, uh, it's very, very easy to just appeal to that and say, this is the natural, this is what we used to do and how, how we did it before all this technology came along. Therefore, it's what we should be doing now.
1: Yeah. And- and I think what's fascinating when we look at these diets and and I think you and I have a, an appreciation for you know the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet, but also you know some of the the tiredness that comes from from being here and debating it for for so many years over and over again. And you just start to realize that really the main issue, as you look back in history and compared to what we're eating today, And you ask yourself like why do people find the keto diet or the south beach diet or or, uh, the carnivore diet to to work for them it's like well the standard american diet is so broken that essentially anything that actually removes doritos and oreos and and you know uh uh soft drinks right uh from the diet you know is is gonna yield beneficial results right and so i think that's one of the the confounding factors that no one wants to address is like you know i'm, I'm i think any diet other than the standard of american diet you know can make progress towards feeling good and probably will also improve the risk factors to being healthy in the long term right <laughs> you know it's its what is the magnitude of the benefit where we obviously think that a plant-based diet with all of its fiber and micronutrients and the arguments everyone listening knows um, is the right way to go. But I think that's the most interesting thing to me is like I, the countless times I hear someone say, oh well, i'm I'm you know trying out a carnivore diet, right? And like I actually feel really good. Well, it's like, well, first of all, you're probably gonna feel really good in the short term because you know you're not eating all the shit that used to make up the predominant part of your diet on a standard American way of eating. Mm-hmm. But then what happens in the long term? And that's where to your point, there's no um, accountability, right? Like no one comes back and and says like, Oh, yeah, actually, I did try that. And it doesn't work. And like this, this guy's <laughs> a fraud. Because um, he can just keep, you know, sort of turning through new recruits who try it out. And it works for six months, maybe it works for a year. And then when they go on to the next one, he just keeps talking to and promising the next great thing um, to those who are sick or, you know, have no energy or just don't feel good. And they're just looking for something and they get that something because it's anything other than the standard way of eating that can make them feel better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all good points and to be fair and kind of to be devil's advocate and I think demonstrate... Where we are coming from with this book and this podcast in trying to really trying to be scientific, right and not be married or or have allegiance to one certain way of eating. Like we happen to eat plant-based diets, We think that's the best. But you can say these exact same arguments uh, as to why a plant-based diet appears to work, right? Someone says, well, yeah, compared to a standard American diet, if you start eating all these whole fruits and vegetables and things, of course, you're gonna feel yeah. better. And of course it, it's you're gonna feel better right away because you're suddenly getting all these different nutrients and things that you might not have been getting before, but how are you going to do in the long term? And, and there are those criticisms, people who talk about athletes who go plant-based and it works well for a few years. And they say, but yes, what happened after that? I've seen this with, with Carl Lewis and uh, some of the NFL players that say, yes, that works for a while. They, they, they do well, but then down the road, what happens now, as you look at more that that data is still kind of coming out. It does appear the plant-based diet is, is prolonging athletes' careers. And like you said, it also appears that it's linked to a lot of longevity benefits, uh, but I do think it's important, right? That it's, I, I really want to try to as much as possible, be, you know, be on that other side and say like, well, what, if I didn't believe in plant-based diet, if that wasn't my thing, what would I, what would I say in response to that? And that kind of thinking I think is, is really what has made, uh, so far the book process like really interesting to me that we've, we've really tried to yeah. not be, cause there are plenty of vegan influencers, by the way, who do exactly the things that we're, we're saying liver King does, right? Not, maybe not exactly, but, but, you know, parallel to that, uh, As I said, we've been influencers too. We're we're we've been promoting a plant-based diet. I've been doing it for 15 years now. And certainly there have been phases in there when I think I bought into it more than I should have and just said, Well, like you know, now this is my living. Like I'm a I'm a vegan influencer guy. So I'm gonna, of course, retweet the things that are positive about plant-based diets and not so much shed any light on the things that even if they appear valid, uh, would call it into question. And so, like, I, I think I like to think that I'm kind of past that phase and now able to take a step back and be more fair about this um still eating a plant-based diet because i still believe it's the best but uh i don't know i just i think it's we don't hear that a lot there's this echo chamber especially in in our community that that we don't often like question this thing and it's almost sacrilegious to do so
1: yeah i think there's that's a really important point um first of all it's not influencer it's content creator like i think someone (laughs) someone in the media world Someone in the media world said influencers too crude and we need to call them content creators. So you, you've been a content creator, Matt, and okay, you should good. be proud of that. Oh, that's better. Um, it is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but I think you're absolutely right. Right. Like we know that the social media world creates these bubbles, right? It's that recommendation algorithm, that filter where the more you like, the more you get fed the same stuff. Right. And it's, it's as you and I have been talking about an outrage machine as a result, because like, you know, the kind of content that gets shared and gets reactions is the type of content that's making all of us miserable, (laughs) you know, because it's a type of content like the liver King, right? It's outrageous. Um, But obviously this is even more so concerning and, um, uh, you know, made manifest by our debates in terms of, Um, social problems and and political disagreements, right? Um, But focusing just narrowly on the nutrition world, to your point, it can become such an echo chamber, which I think has its benefits if you're in the right echo chamber, right? Because I think you you need that reinforcement of your habits and behaviors and that new science to come out that reminds you, oh, right, in in the midst of getting all this peer pressure in the midst of a society that doesn't necessarily support a plant-based diet, it's a good thing to have you know a, a reminder that there are other people out there like you and there are reasons why you're doing this and they're presenting this new this new science, these new recipes, this new hack right that that makes it easier for you to live this way. I think that's a positive thing. Um, but obviously the negative thing to your point is that you aren't exposed to other ideas. your your ideas aren't necessarily challenged in a, in a way that makes you, thoughtful and stronger and and hopefully more nuanced in your beliefs and and lastly and perhaps most important to your point um it 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 creates a a a a very um pressure-filled situation for those content creators for those doctors right like you know say i don't want to use any names but someone who has built up a career you know in the gut health profession and their their whole life is around promoting a high fiber diet, right, and a plant based diet. And then all of a sudden, you know, over the course of time, right, they, they decide actually, that's not what's best. I'm not saying that's the case, I actually, think that this is what's best, particularly for gut health. But will they be willing to share that? Will they be willing to to try to fight against that, that, um, that, that very sticky force that is their their livelihood, right? And, yeah, and the right. community that they built? Um, and i think our point is that probably not i think a lot of people subordinate their true beliefs and and in some cases the the real science um because it is not serving in the interests that have become entrenched
0: yeah uh, absolutely and i think i think importantly often it happens on a completely unconscious level right you, you get to the point where you don't even hear the things that are are opposite your viewpoint because to, as someone whose business and livelihood ex- depends on it, like you said, you can't you can't harbor the possibility that 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 that, uh, that that would would be your new would be the truth and and would upend your career, right? So it's just not part of your your worldview to even consider that. Uh, which brings you to I guess maybe a little more detail than we wanted to get into, but this idea uh, of bullshitting is I think is such an interesting thing. There was like a 1986 paper by I think a Harvard professor. called called on bullshit. And the idea is that someone who is quote unquote bullshitting is, is not necessarily intentionally deceiving, uh, but rather like once they've, once they've gotten themselves into an argument or, or taken a a stand uh, and they have this position at that point, all they want to do is win the argument. And now whenever anything comes along that will enhance that argument, they will, they will cite it and they will share it. Uh, And if it doesn't, they will just sort of bury it. And so they stop caring about the truth. They just care about what is there that supports their side. And if it does share it, if it doesn't bury it. Uh, And I think anyone listening to this will will know that that happens. Right. And I don't think you have to be someone who's done this before. And I have uh, to, to see that that's of course what is happening. Almost. It's almost like, of course it's happening. It's it's, it's almost like you would expect it. Um, So I think that's a super interesting thing. You mentioned uh, at the beginning of, of what you last said that, in many ways, this is the stuff that makes us miserable, right? This is what social media has has been uh, blamed and the internet in general, but I think especially social media uh, for a, a big dip in our happiness and our mental well-being. Uh, it's been implicated. I, sh- I guess we don't know definitively that it is the cause, but uh, the data certainly points in that direction that it is. We came up with the, this idea as we were writing this book, and this was a big inspiration for it. Uh, or as we were writing the, the proposal, the ideas for this book, because it, it hasn't been written yet, to be totally clear. Um, we came across this idea that, well, we made up this idea, I guess, uh, that we called happy span, for lack of a, a better term. I don't know if that's a good term or not. I, I think it kind of is, but I don't know. Uh, and and you kind of were the one who, who identified that it's it's sort of an extension of the jump from, we used to care about lifespan, which is just how long someone lives. And then we realized that that's only a very small part of the story, because if the last 20 years of your life are, your life is extended by 20 years, but those 20 years are spent, you know, immobile or in a hospital, like what, how much is that really worth? And so then we started focusing on health span and this idea of like having good quality years where you can still move and you can still do things. Um, But that's just talking about your health. It's not really talking about your happiness. And so much of this advice nowadays that flies around on the internet uh, ask you to do things that are, that are crazy, right? That where your whole first three hours of your morning is taken up by cold plunges and, and meditation things and uh, barefoot walks outside in the grass. And a whole lot of other things that are much crazier than those. Uh, where eventually if you did all this stuff, you probably couldn't possibly be happy, right? Because you, you'd be living this strange, almost robotic life. Uh, that I guess in some ways you could say some of these things are quote unquote natural. Others, aren't, or, and certainly the routine of doing all of them, you can't really call that natural. So this idea of happy span would, would measure, um, yes, how many quality years you have, but also like, how do you feel during those years and are you enjoying your life? And that's, uh, I think something new. And I think it's, it's perhaps the, the biggest, uh, overarching theme of all the stuff that we're going to be doing. And so I guess as a, as a sending off here, before we wrap this first episode up, um, let's just touch on that really quickly. I mean, what, what, uh, what thoughts do you have about this happy span idea and uh and what what can people take away
1: yeah um well first i got to double down on what you said cuz um you and i both enjoyed it so much this idea that if you just look at the the cumulative advice out there um by people who by the way are are incredibly thoughtful you know science based content creators yep. many of whom are credentialed and incredible people i mean um huberman comes to mind because you know i I think he is he's like the bill nye science guy for our generation right um i think he does incredible work but to your point if we take it all together it becomes so overwhelming right you can't possibly integrate it into a life in which you are Working for a salary and maybe even have kids and like and and perhaps don't have the willpower of David Goggins and you know the the narrative that you and I put together was like you know you you wake up you know before the sun rises in this like blacked out room you've got you know your eye mask on your your earbuds on so it's to be like totally totally black. Um, it's of course 64 degrees, which makes it incredibly hard to get out of bed because it's freezing, but that's the best way to sleep. Your, your mouth your is mouth taped is shut, right? Taped yeah, shut. Forget that. Right. Sorry. Yeah, that's my favorite. Um, because nose breathing is be- better And we've both done um, by it, by way, the way. Every we've time both I've...
0: done we both done this mouth. We've done all of it. Thing, right? We've yeah, done all right. of
1: it. Yeah. And uh um, and and so you know your 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 uh, mattress is plugged into the grounding wire, right? Because that's the best way to get like the 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 vibrations of the Earth's frequency. But there's no other electricity in your bedroom because of the EMF waves. And immediately you get up, right? you don't check your phone. You meditate for for forty minutes, and then you have to simultaneously get forward motion and sunlight in your eyes to like wake you up and set your circadian rhythm. You can't have any coffee right? Because obviously, um, that messes up your, your whole adrenal system, right? Like, and it just goes on and on and on where the next thing you know, you're, you're cold plunging and then laying in grass once again, to get the right vibrations. And, and these are all individually, science based recommendations that I'm, uh, I have no doubt will improve your life, right? But taken, together, I, I have some you, doubt. you figure <laughs> That's out a
0: little bit of doubt about some of them.
1: Well, I mean okay, I, I think fine, our way fine. of evaluating I, things I is I,
0: right. Yeah, there are ways to zoom out and say, yes, this appears to work in this limited study. We looked at it, but if we look at it in a bigger context, does it really help us? We don't know about that. But but to your point, where you're going right. is once you add them all. The up, magnitude it's because- of
1: effect. Yeah, the magnitude of the effect might be questionable on some of these things. And whether or not you, you believe in EMF and other sort of earth frequencies and that kind of side of the scientific world, um, you're right, I shouldn't say individually, each one of them can make an impact. But the point that we're getting at is back to happy span, taken in aggregate, particularly taken as a daily deluge of scientific, recommendations and and health advice where it just becomes so overwhelming to think about how would I possibly integrate this into my life, let alone make these habits that I can continue over time. And at what point is there a a point of diminishing return, not to mention the mental health issue, the anxiety that it can create when you're, I mean, I think about it a lot, right? Like I'm, I have my blue blocking glasses that I've been wearing recently. I, I took a little bit of break from them, but. Recently at night, I've been been wearing them because I've been working in in bed a lot and and uh, and some nights I forget them and I think to myself right before bed like ah you know am I going to be able to fall asleep right <laughs> it's like and and that that's probably first of all I shouldn't be working on my computer late at night in bed fair uh, but the very fact that I'm like you know castigating myself for forgetting to wear these glasses it's just that one extra the point of negativity that is is not helpful. So um, I think that's one of the most fascinating ideas for us to explore. It's just like, how do you peel apart all this different advice to figure out where where is the signal in that noise? Where is the thing that actually could change your life and is worth investing in? Um, Because the ROI, right, The, the return on that effort is worth it in terms of the health impact, but also the happiness impact.
0: Yeah, uh, sleep trackers come to mind for sure. It's one of those things where, like, it it does seem that it can help you, and if you start to optimize your sleep, that appears that it would be a good thing. But the cost of having that sleep tracker and constantly paying attention to it, that alone actually often ends up hurting the quality of your sleep. At least it has for me. Um, so that's an interesting example, but one that's like less tech focused is, and I think like the the whole, this morning routine, and as you're getting to this evening routine of having to be off the computer by a certain time, having blue blockers on, if you're going to be right, that we could, we could put one together for the evening too. Um, But like on a much more, I think day-to-day realistic level that most people are, may not realize they're they're part of, like just look at diet, right? Almost every strict diet, including whole food, plant-based, oil-free, right? That brings with this question of like, yes, it's going to help me with health. Allegedly, we don't, you know, know that for sure. Some people will say it does. Some say it won't. To go that far, um, but like, at what cost? And and at and when it comes to the stress level, same with say avoiding alcohol, right? Like, is that is that always worth it, or is there some, you know, stress benefit? Like Dan Buettner, Blue Zones would sort of argue that that it is associated a little bit of red wine with a long lifestyle, even if nearly every study shows that alcohol actually isn't associated with with increased health or longevity. And so a lot of interesting questions here uh, as far as like, when is it, when is it too much? What's worth it? The blue zones, I think has some really great answers that I really like their methods. And the, the often the conclusions are, are some that I think are are really great and that they do seem that they are things that could not just make you healthier, but actually make you happier. And if you can get both of those, I think you're, you're winning. So um, yeah, I th- I, mean, I think that's, I, can't, I don't know, Anything else, Matt? I can't we, wait
1: yeah, I can't wait for our episode on sleep trackers. Um, but also, we'll have to do a deep dive on on alcohol. That is something you and I have talked a lot about over the years, just personally. And you know, I was just reading—literally, I was just reading about how uh, ethanol, which most people would uh, you know associate as like rubbing alcohol, like is fit for human consumption. It is uh, the the biochemical thing that you're drinking in that red wine and you know, as it gets converted to, you know, what is it? Um, Jeez. Uh, 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 anyway, a- as it gets converted through the process to acetate and whether or not your liver can remove that acetate quick enough, and then if it doesn't, gets into the bloodstream, crosses the blood-brain barrier, and the feeling of being drunk is essentially destroying the, the white matter in your brain, the highways of information in your brain, you know? And, like, I look at that and I'm like, there is no reason to drink alcohol, and yet you and I have both had that debate over and over again. And obviously, I'm you know someone who recognizes the the benefit of being able to go to a wedding, you know, and and not you know have that uh, that 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 long process of you know should I drink, should I not drink, and you know what is the the social benefit and the relaxation and the stress that it's caused just just going back and forth on that stuff. So I'm, I'm excited for that, for that deep dive, but that'll be the last thing I say, cause we got to wrap up and get on with our day.
0: Yeah, good. Well, that'd be great. I look forward to that too. I think actually the very night that we met in Astro, we had dinner and I think we had that very discussion. We, we talked to, cause we each had a couple uh, I think we met at a brewery first and then went to plant and had some wine and we, we I was had gonna that say over, that.
1: over way too much alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, we'd be hypocrites to say that... We were uh, younger, you we younger then, you
1: know.
0: Right, right. That's that's the only reason. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's a good place to <laughs> to leave this for now. Hopefully, we've given you a little taste of what we plan to get into on this show and eventually in the book. Uh, so, yeah, and for now, thank you for listening. Uh, subscribe to this channel, of course, and uh, look for us, I think, once a week, and then the other shows are going to be also once or more a week, and this channel should be filled with Good plant based health information. So uh I guess that's it. So we will sign off. Thanks, Pat. Bye bye, everybody. Right. Bye. Goodbye.